Welcome to the refugee border checkpoint out of Ukraine. Documents, please. Here you go, sir. Are you a woman? Correct. I am a woman. Hmm. It says that on your passport and birth certificate, too. So, what is the problem? I don't believe you. Seems like you might be a man. Back to where you came from. You're going to fight in the army. Next. Hi, Neil, and hello to our wonderful people listening to us today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back almost COVID-free, Sandra. Yes, I tested negative yesterday, so that's good news. But I still cough a little bit, and I have a runny nose a little bit, and I do still sneeze from time to time. Well, I have a feeling that our listeners and me are going to get yelled at now that your voice works again. Your feeling is correct, especially you, to be <laughs> honest. You're going to get, uh, you're going to be the recipient of most of my yelling Yes, not the listeners, though. They have done nothing wrong, unlike you. Well, let's see. <laughs> I still get to edit this. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And this is so exciting. You know, we've been thinking of discussing about what it means of being transgender in the world we live in, and not only being transgender in countries at peace, but more specifically, what it means to be transgender in Ukraine, for example, and how transgender people trying to flee the war, like so many other millions of people did, can't even do that safely and without harassment and humiliation at the border checkpoints. And just to clarify, you know, we love the Ukrainians and we've done all these episodes about Ukraine and, you know, we hope they win their war against, well, the most evil person in the world at this point in time, I suppose. But like any other country, Ukraine has their issues, too. And I mean, we're going to point out the truth and deal with their unpleasant realities, too, because these realities affect people. And they affect people who are the most at risk already. Transphobia and homophobia are issues not only characteristic to Ukraine, Moldova, Hungary, Poland, Romania. All of Eastern Europe still has a lot of improvements to make as far as LGBTQIA rights go. And many other countries, too. But in any case, when Ukraine imposed martial law on the 24th of February, all men aged 18 to 60 were banned from leaving the country. Since then, there are stories about trans people being turned away at the borders. Activists and aid workers are saying that despite their legal status as women, in particular for trans women, dozens have been mistreated and pushed back, left caught between a transphobic invader and a transphobic police force. Yes. Can you imagine not only having to deal with prejudice and being treated differently on a regular basis, but now facing the very real threat of being, if you're not killed in a shelling attack, taken away and facing far more serious consequences for not being straight, right? Because Russia hates the LGBTQIA community. Putin says it publicly. He even said these people are, quote unquote, enemies of the state. And the most hated group is the transgender people for reasons that are beyond us. I mean, other than fear, lack of education, and stupid, obsolete religious BS. And we finally get to do this episode. We were planning to do this earlier, but we wanted to get more stories, more insight into what's been going on and give you guys a good overview of what the transgender people in Ukraine have been going through this whole time. And we picked this title 
because June is Pride Month, but we can't talk about pride without explaining the prejudice and can't and constant bureaucratic and societal hoops transgender people and the LGBTQIA community in general have to jump through to simply be who they are, which is why pride exists. They have a lot to be proud of. They've overcome so much. And yet, this is not nearly enough. There is so much more that must change everywhere in all countries. And really, I must say that this is really short-sighted on the part of Ukraine to not have better control of their police and all of this. Uh A month ago, the whole world was on their side, and now they're going to throw away some of that goodwill, but for what? I mean, to force people they hate to stay in the country. Yes, we're going to be discussing about LGBTQIA people, right? Gender nonconforming people, queer people, people who are what others consider different. Okay, and how these people have been ostracized and have been struggling to deal with the war in Ukraine and how they are basically prisoners there. These people, and it's not only transgender people, it's queer people that are caught in this war. And in this episode, we'll focus on the story of Zifa Melu, who had to cross the Danube River, swimming in freezing temperatures to be able to make it to Romania safely because her passport gender marker did not match her identity. And we'll explain what the legal requirements are in Ukraine to get the papers matching your real gender are and how being transgender is classified as a mental disorder. I mean, it's unbelievable. And we'll talk about all of that. Yeah. And also the story of Judas, who's a transgender woman whose birth certificate defines her as female legally. There's no reason why she should not be allowed to pass with thousands of other people who are crossing the Ukrainian borders to safety every day. Yet on the 12th of March, at about 4 o'clock in the morning, after a long and humiliating search, border guards determined that she was a man and prevented her from passing into Poland as well. Yeah, so it seems that Ukrainian border guards are now preventing even trans people with valid certificates and valid documents reflecting their gender from leaving Ukraine. And the only explanation for this is prejudice and hate. It's insane. We haven't even started and I'm getting mad. Uh, I mean, there's a woman named Alice. She is also transgender and she has a similar story. And we'll also tell you a story from Moldova. This is a very heartbreaking tragedy about a beautiful transgender teenage girl named Felis, who was so ostracized, terrorized, and bullied by classmates and school officials that she jumped from the 22nd story of a high-rise in Chisinau, ending her life. So we'll discuss not only Ukraine, but also Eastern Europe as a whole, and how transphobia and homophobia are prevalent there, mostly due to the level of religiousness of the population. Gay marriage, for example, is not allowed in Ukraine. The Christian Orthodox Church considers homosexuality a sin, and there are no anti-discrimination laws to protect LGBTQ plus people. And yes, in my opinion, religion is at the root of hate for the LGBTQIA community, but also the politicians who use the church and religion to get re-elected So, you know, they play into the hate and discrimination, knowing exactly they are causing harm and real danger to their own citizens, just like Republicans do here in the United States, actually. 
Yeah, sounds like Texas. Mm -hmm. And of course, there will be some discussion of gay, lesbian, and trans rights in the U.S. as well. Yes, and since the start of the war in Ukraine, transgender people there have been at even more risk than everybody else. They've been in a double survival mode, if you will, and just a small digression. Let's all remember the discrimination against black refugees and how they were initially not allowed on trains and how they faced many obstacles that white refugees did not face when the war initially started. So let's keep that in context as well. And first of all, think about this. Transgender people, they have this fear of being in an area or city that would be overtaken by the Russians. So that's layer one of the fear, right? So under Russian control, because we need to understand gender non-conforming people are not only seen as second-class citizens in Russia, it's more than that. They're seen as a danger to society. Hating them, harassing them, attacking them is almost a national sport. It's sanctioned by Putin's government. They're quote-unquote enemies of the state. And gender fluidity was designated by Putin as a crime against humanity. So it's only normal for transgender Ukrainians to fear being taken hostage or being in an area controlled by the Russians. Yeah, so what do you do if the Russians invade? You have to try to flee. Uh, just like so many millions of Ukrainians have done since the start of this war. But unlike everybody else, if you're transgender, you'll have to overcome not just the Russians, but the threat of your own country's authorities as well. Yes, and to exemplify what we mean, we'll tell you the story of Zifa Melu, a 31-year-old woman who woke up at 5 a.m. on February 24 to the sound of loud shelling outside her apartment in Kiev. Z is transgender, and she was terrified like any of us would be, but for more than just the reasons why any of us would be terrified, right? It wasn't just the war and the fear of being killed. In an interview she later gave to NBC, and we'll link that interview in the notes, she recalls, I quote, I looked at the window and I saw the orange sky, and she realized that Putin is really invading, the war has started, and she was terrified, but not only because of the war. Yeah, as the bombardment started getting close to her, neighbors left, and she would too, about five days after Russia's first attack on Ukraine. Yes, she began to run out of water and food, and her friend who worked at an LGBTQ plus organization in Kiev called to warn her, and she was told, quote, you have to live here, you have to leave Kiev because there is a very dangerous group of transphobes and homophobes. They move around the city and hurt people like us. So that's the thing. You know, war tends toward chaos. It brings out the best in some people, and it's going to bring out the worst in others. Uh -huh. And it seems that in Ukraine, some of the worst are those who seek out anyone who isn't of their preferred ethnicity and heterosexual to harass, beat up, maybe even kill. Yes, and let's clarify, all nations have these crazies. Whether we call them the Proud Boys or whatever, all countries have the crazies. Unfortunately, yes. And it's important to explain that Famelou is a transgender woman whose passport gender marker does not match her gender identity, which would make it difficult, if not impossible, to leave the country for her, right? And with martial law having been declared in Ukraine, all able-bodied men ages 18 to 60 were required to stay and be available to join the army. Famelou, who has lived as a woman for nearly a decade, but whose passport still says male, would have to stay and potentially fight. In 2016, Famelou tried to change her identity documents, 
but she was told she would have to be committed to a psychiatric facility for a month for examinations and to obtain an official diagnosis. She chose not to, obviously, because doing so would be humiliating and demoralizing. But she also heard of other transgender women who had traumatizing experiences going through that process. Yeah, and I mean, I would have refused to. I mean, one month in a psychiatric hospital, really, that is insane. It's unacceptable. But yes, in the past, transgender people in Ukraine who wanted to legally change their gender markers on official documents had to go through extensive psychiatric observation and brace yourself, sterilization. (sighs) So that was obligatory. And they had to undergo gender affirmation surgery. In 2017, the process was revised, making it easier for trans people to align their documentation with their lived genders. And it hasn't gotten much better. We'll give you guys a more in-depth explanation of what getting the right set of documents meant in Ukraine before 2017 and what it means now. But first, we want to tell you this escape story. It's crazy. And sadly, on the topic of forced sterilization, Ukraine were not the only ones. We'll have more on that later. But in Z's case, she decided she needed to get out of Ukraine and as fast as possible. So on February 28th, Z got in touch with a former colleague who agreed to drive her from Kiev to the Romanian border. They left the next day. Her passport was questioned and photos were taken of it and of her at every single roadblock. At the first checkpoint, she was detained, her passport was taken, and she was refused a lawyer, she said. She was eventually let go when a female customs officer told the guards that they didn't have any right to detain her anymore. Yes, and after being denied passage, Z stayed overnight in a hostel at the border, and with the help of friends in Germany, a Romanian driver was sent there to take her to another checkpoint. And they tried bribing the police officer stationed at the checkpoint. They offered him 3,000 euros uh, to let them go through, but it did not work. The police officer recognized Z from the photos taken and shared by the other guards. And he then took her by force to the military enforcement office, where she said officers were laughing at her and calling her homophobic slurs. She was deemed eligible at this point to join the army, but that would require a medical exam. Uh, before she was forcibly enlisted, and the hospitals were unable to check her that day, so the guards reluctantly let her go and told her she had to return to them in the morning. Yes, so she went back to the car where the driver was waiting for her and told him what happened, and from what I understand, he looked at her and said, quote-unquote, can you swim? And he told her the only way left was for her to swim across a short stretch of the Danube River. She recalled when interviewed by NBC, I quote, I couldn't believe that it was really happening to me. And so the Romanian taxi driver drove her there to this spot on the shore of the Danube. She put her Ukrainian ID, her passport, and her phone in a plastic bag in her bra. And as they started walking towards the river, two military men started moving toward them, pointing a gun at Z. And Z took off running. As she was hearing them yelling at her, are you ready to die? And then she heard the driver behind her yelling out in pain as the men started to attack him. So she swam over. Yeah, she she managed yes. to make it to the I river. Mean, can you imagine? It's like, we, Sandra <sighs> and I were talking about this over the weekend. I was looking at 
how far can a person swim in that cold water? And the answer is about that far. So this is literally life and death. Mm-hmm. And yes. And it's cold in February, yes, right? I mean, I mean yes, can you we're imagine like it's like freezing? Water, yeah, we're talking about the water. From everything I could find, the water is probably about 40 degrees Fahrenheit for people in the U.S., um so so that's zero celsius like yeah that it's freezing yes. yeah that's like 10 celsius so yeah. it's like right at freezing and so if you can swim for 15 minutes you better get to where you're going because that's gonna be it yeah and she said quote i felt like a criminal like i'm doing something wrong yes i was breaking the law but i was a refugee and i am a refugee Exactly. And the only reason why she broke the law in the first place is that the law is BS. That's why. And personally, I'm glad she did break the law and made it out, although it was a very risky move um, because she swam across the river. Besides the very cold temperature, you have the strong currents. And I mean, it's February. I I, I can't even imagine it's winter. So when she made it to the other side, she saw about 10 military vehicles. On the Ukrainian side, so more Ukrainians had arrived, but thankfully they were too late and Z was not safe on the Romanian side of the Danube. The Romanian police gave her dry clothes and food, returned her IDs and phone, and got her to a refugee camp. And from there, she was able to make it to Germany, where she's now safe. Yes, and thank you, Romanian police, for helping Z. I was quite afraid reading uh, uh, the research for this episode and looking into Z's case. I was quite afraid of another discrimination story on the Romanian side of the Danube. <laughs> I mean, you you know, you assume the worst in people, don't you? You know, well, I, at least I do. You know. Yes, and that area in Eastern Europe, let's be honest, all these countries, they are homophobic. They are transphobic because, as I said, progress has been made. But Eastern European countries, including Romania, still have a very long way to go. A long way. And I love Romania. It's my native country, but it is what it is. This is the truth. Well, Texas is no better, obviously. So I'm not not looking down (laughs) on the Ukrainians. But this war has created a devastating humanitarian crisis and has forced millions to flee their homes. Uh, We already talked about how the Russians treat gay, lesbian, and trans people in our premium episodes about Putin's rights to power. Yes, guys, we do two premium episodes per month in addition to our free ones. So there is already a bunch of great exclusive premium content available for you. You can get those premium episodes by going to dubiouspod.com and clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of the page. Or there's a link right here in these episode notes. And not only do you get the premium episodes, but you'll also get our public episodes ad-free as well. And I can't really blame these people for getting out and abandoning Ukraine. I mean, why would anyone have a feeling of loyalty towards a place that has discriminated against you? If the Ukrainians win, they're going to be oppressed to some degree. If the Russians win, they're going to be oppressed a lot just by people under a different flag. So why stay? Yes, and moreover, I mean, these populations that are at risk, legally, they have the same rights as the rest of the people. Four million fled Ukraine, so why not them? Legally, they should be allowed to go. And let's not forget that Ukrainian transgender refugees often pass through other nations that are not safe either, like Poland, Hungary, Ukraine, Moldova, before they reach a place where they might claim refugee or asylum status. And every time they go through a checkpoint, they're scrutinized and each new government makes their own determination about the legality of their documents. 
Uh, Catherine Mahoney, a spokesperson for the United Nations Refugee Agency, said, quote, LGBTQ plus refugees, asylum seekers and internally displaced people can often end up in a similar or worse situation than the one they fled from. The already severe protection risks they experience due to their sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression or sex characteristics in their country of origin are often exacerbated by anti-LGBTQ plus xenophobic and racist attitudes in a country of asylum, including from other refugees. She also said trans women continue to arrive in countries neighboring Ukraine, and we know that some have crossed through unofficial border points to avoid authorities. And that brings us to the identification document laws in Ukraine, both before 2017 and since then. Prior to 2017, people seeking gender reassignment on legal documents were required to commit themselves to a psychiatric hospital for a month, as we mentioned before, and also be medically sterilized. While the sterilization requirement has since been eliminated, people must still get that official diagnosis to update their identity documents. This is just disgusting. Disorder. There is no disorder. This is not a disease. I hate this BS. I swear. I swear. Uh, The World Health Organization did step up and remove the disorder term from transgender medical diagnoses. But the change wasn't until 2019 and the deadline for member nations to implement the changes is right now, 2022. So the reclassification would make the psychiatric visit an unnecessary part of updating the gender marker on one's identity documents when that change spreads out. But yes, the deadlines now, It's this is only happening in 2022. Yes, I mean, this whole thing is crazy asking the transgender people to go to a psychiatrist to get the diagnosis in order for them to have the right paper that is the insane part you know it's 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 just insanity these are not mentally disturbed people yes i just don't get it there's actually more the previous rules outlined in order number 60 of the ministry of health in the ukraine also required a divorce if they were married and gender affirmation surgery. Failure to complete all of the steps in this procedure meant becoming basically a legal outcast. You're going to have trouble getting bank accounts. You're going to have trouble getting a house or an apartment. You're going to have trouble getting a job. I don't know. I'm glad the sterilization part is over and done with, and that's been erased from the law. But How do you oblige people to get a divorce? This is insane. The whole thing is insane. Yes. How? That is the most crazy. I mean, you know, you cannot compel somebody who is not even party to all of these legal proceedings to participate. It's like, oh, no, you are suffering the state's discrimination too, whether you like it or not, even though you're not even party to yes, all of by this. Yes, by association, like by, by just... Be, yes, it's guilt by association, by association, exactly. That's not how the law works. As far as I know, one of the basic tenets of the law is that responsibility is personal, not that the trans people would have any responsibility. You know, I'm just saying as a principle, so it's insane anyway, and the whole sterilization part, glad it's gone, because honestly, that sounds like a law made by Mengele in World War II. I mean... Yeah, it really does. I mean, this is stuff they did. And 
other countries did this too. Ukraine's not the only one. We're not singling them out. England and France, they did it too. Yes, and it's important to mention here that there are people like Edward Rees, a project assistant at Kyiv Pride, an organization who fights for LGBTQIA rights in Ukraine. And unlike Z, he feels Ukraine is in a much better place than Z does, for example. Edward is 36 and identifies as queer and non-binary and uses he and him pronouns. He grew up in central Ukrainian city of the Dnipro and he lived in Kyiv for three years. He fled to Denmark after the war started and is waiting for a temporary permit to live and work there. And, you know, he has a different point of view than Z, for example. Yeah, he's uh, got a lot of content on TikTok explaining LGBTQ issues, such as non-binary identities and queerness. But it shouldn't be surprising that he gets his share of death threats on TikTok. And he said, quote, it's a normal issue for every LGBTQ activist in Ukraine because we have some people who are deeply homophobic and transphobic. And despite the online abuse, Reese said he sees progress in Ukraine and is optimistic about the country's future, including the possibility of laws being passed that prohibit hate speech and penalize hate crimes. Quote, Ukraine is quite a modern country. Human rights is really high. Not perfect, but high, he said. Definitely, we have some transphobia and some homophobia, which is mostly because of lack of education. I got to give that guy credit. He's far more generous than I would be in his shoes. Yes, yes. And it, it just goes to show that, you know, different people experience this situation differently. Through some people's eyes, the situation is not as bad, right? But The truth is, we all deal in our countries with these issues. No country is untouched by the hate, but the fact remains that countries like Ukraine, Romania, Moldova, Poland, and Hungary have a long way to come when it comes to LBGTQIA rights. Eastern Europe has a lot of work to do. That's the end of it. And Zifamelu agrees with this point of view. She came out as transgender in 2014. And since then, she has become estranged from her parents and experienced consistent discrimination. She loves Ukraine, but she said the transphobia there is brutal. And look, as a Romanian, I tend to agree, as I know how it is in Eastern Europe. I have relatives in the countryside in Romania, and they do not get it. Hate is the default mode when you talk about LGBTQIA. It's just the truth. In the big cities, the young people, they're more open-minded. It's true. The big bulk of the population, though, there is a problem. They're not open-minded. And the more religious the country or area, the more hateful the people are. Z said, quote, you're in danger everywhere because people beat you in the streets. And they've beaten me one time in the streets. I know there is like LGBTQ plus organizations in Ukraine. They want to paint a good picture about Ukraine and this community. But it's not true, she said. This is the harsh reality and truth, so we'll always have to live in survival mode. That's more in line with what I know is happening in Eastern European country, to be honest, yes. And keep in mind, Z Family is a celebrity, you know, to some degree. She won the Ukrainian equivalent of American Idol in 2017 as a singer, which is incredibly ironic for anyone familiar with the history of the performing arts in Europe. More on that in a second. Yes, and look, this is what this says. Uh, They never use transgender. They never use transsexual. They always use transvestite. The Ukrainian people and the Russian people and Belarus people. 
that's what she said. And she also said, we don't have laws that protect us. We don't have our rights. So we're just invisible. Again, look, it's true as a Romanian, I can attest that the vast majority, unfortunately, of people in my native country, for example, do use derogatory terms where referring to transgender people. They do not get it. They don't understand. They think it's a disease. They don't get it. It's the lack of education and the level of religious indoctrination. That's not all they don't get. So like I said above, this is all very ironic because the church literally sanctioned the idea of a castrato in opera performances hundreds of years ago. Mm -hmm. It implies exactly what the name sounds like. An adolescent boy would be sterilized, castrated, to prevent him from going through puberty, thus preserving <sighs> his higher-pitched boyish voice. There were operas like Rinaldo, for instance, an Italian opera written for England by a German in the 18th century, just to make sure we have all of our denominations covered here, which specifically required casting a gender-modified male in the lead role of the opera, and everybody <sighs> was somehow okay with that, but... In 2022, this is a problem. But I mean, in any case, religion is dragging us back to the medieval times since forever, honestly. And so anxious to do it that they forgot what they did before. So, in any case, the International Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Trans, and Intersex Association ranked Ukraine 39th in its LGBTQ human rights ranking of 49 European countries total. Belarus came in at 44, Romania 41, while Russia was 46. Uh, best countries for LGBTQIA people are Malta, Denmark, Belgium, Norway, Sweden, Iceland, and Finland. So let's be honest. If you look at this graph, and we'll link it in the episode notes, it's a pretty clear correlation between religion and hatred. The more religious the country is, the more hateful and discriminatory against non-gender conforming people they are. Yes. And look, like with everything, this is about money. Don't be fooled. Even here in the US now, many churches and denominations are more open to people whom they were calling, quote unquote, abominations only two decades ago. But then they realized as the world moves on that they lose money if they continue with the craziness and the hate. So they put on a front of love and acceptance. But it's mainly because of financial reasons. I do not buy this whole newfound love for LGBTQIA people. Religion has played a massive, if not the central role, in creating and fueling the hate and the discrimination in the first place. Let's not forget that. And that hate, you know, killing the gays and the transgender, all that horrible nonsense, that's in the Bible. It's in there black on white, unfortunately. I've mentioned this in other episodes that we've done, but I still find this very amusing that they do not grasp the very basics of their own theology. The point is that they are fallen. There is no escape. They can hate whoever they want to hate, but according to their own doctrine, it isn't going to change anything. It's not going to save the world. It won't make any difference. With that in mind, their constant need for a new group to hate can only boil down to revenge, which doesn't fit very well with the whole turn the other cheek part, now does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, not at all. Not at all, no. So if they hate 
somebody else for not being heterosexual, they must also hate themselves for violating the turn the other cheek principle. That's the point. Everybody's fallen in their book. About religion, I want to explain. We don't hate religious people. Lots of people in our lives, people we love are religious people. My mom is religious. We don't hate religious people. We just dislike organized religion. It's like with cancer. We don't hate the cancer patients. We hate cancer. And organized religion is what caused and propagated this hate against LGBTQIA people and also women, especially the Abrahamic religions, Christianity and Islam. And the worst part is that a lot of religious people cherry pick the hate they like best. I don't see anyone stoning their wives to death if they're not virgins on their wedding night. But just as we mentioned in our previous episode, just last week there was a pastor in Texas telling the town council where he lives that gays should be killed because the Bible says so. Ignorance is a dangerous thing. To think of the fact that these hateful people use online platforms and their phones to spread hate without knowing that there would be no online, there would be no computers, no nothing, without a gay atheist named Alan Turing, the father of computer science, who, by the way, was sterilized by force by the British government for being gay. But that's for another episode. It's all interconnected. You'll find the most hate and discrimination in areas with poor education and lots of religious indoctrination. Like the Bible Belt, for example, it tracks, it is what it is. Same thing with the women's rights and the anti-abortion crazies. It's religion, that's the root of it. It's the evangelicals who want to destroy that wall between church and state and drag us all back to the Dark Ages. I think the Founding Fathers are rolling in their graves, if you ask me. As for Eastern Europe, not a good place to be if you're not gender-conforming. And back to being trans in Ukraine. Even if you cross the border to escape the war into a neighboring country, you're not necessarily going to be very safe. No, you're not. Countries that border Ukraine, like Romania, Hungary, Poland, are not naturally hospitable for LGBTQ plus Ukrainians fleeing the war. Gay marriage is banned in the constitutions of both Romania and Hungary. I'm, to be honest, so ashamed of the fact that my country is in this category. But compared to Hungary, I think we're a little bit ahead. Hungary even has a gay propaganda law of its own. I mean, are you kidding me? Does that go along with the crisis uh, actor law? Uh, uh, it's, it's insane, I know. And both Hungary and Poland have been taken to task by the European Union over their treatment of the LGBTQIA community. And in 2020, many regions in Poland, comprising almost a third of the country, declared themselves, quote unquote, LGBTQIA free zones. <sighs> Uh, I, I, let's move on, because I'm getting, like, really, like... Well, they need to check those areas for priests, because, <laughs> I yes, mean, yes, very you know, good the numbers point. say... It's really disturbing, and look, there is no such thing as a LGBTQIA free zone. It doesn't exist, okay? It does not exist. These people are not a separate people from us. They are us. They are brothers. They are our cousins. They are our daughters. They are our neighbors. They are our community. There are no LGBTQIA free zones. This makes me so mad to no end. And look, of course, trans people are scared of Russians, but they're also scared of meeting Ukrainian, Slovak, Polish, Hungarian, and Moldovan border guards, right? So even when they reach Slovakia and Poland and so on, and they face discrimination, being beaten up or being put in a cell, I mean, these things happen. So these people, they are afraid to flee. And look, when Budapest Pride posted on Facebook, for example, to ask for help rehousing LGBTQIA Ukrainians, they were immediately trolled and attacked. 
And activists told US outlet NPR they don't trust the government to help them. Yes. I mean, I'm pretty sure I said in one of our previous episodes that you can't have secular laws without enforcing secular laws. There's no way to appease the religious bigotry and keep everybody happy. At some point, you have to choose. Yes, definitely. And I mean, look what happened to Judith, the transgender Ukrainian woman whose documents matched her identity, and still, that did not matter. Legally, there was no reason whatsoever to stop Judith from crossing the border, just like millions of other women did, right? No reason to stop her. And yet, according to an interview she gave to The Guardian, the border guards even pulled her hair to see if she's wearing a wig. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? This is simply insane and inhumane and illegal, and I don't even know how to talk about it without using bad words, so I'm refraining because you have to edit, but I'm very close I to mean, losing my sh- you could pull on Trump's hair and you're probably going to get a surprise. <laughs> I mean, uh, and I don't think he's transgender, but my finger is definitely hovering over the button to change us to explicit, so... You know, just let it out. You know, screw the rankings. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. Look, I'm not going to swear while we're recording. I'm going to do my best. But if I do, you're going to have to beep it up because this is f***ing raging. <laughs> and this is just it. I mean, this is very upsetting for us as cis people. We are straight and we are getting really worked up over this because it's really upsetting. So can you imagine being in their position? Can you imagine trying to flee for your life like many other refugees did and being denied even though you have all the documents? And look, this is what Judy says, quote, Ukrainian border guards undress you and touch you everywhere. You can see on their faces, they're wondering, what are you? Like you're some kind of animal or something. Judas is from a region controlled by Moscow-backed separatists. She fled to Kiev before the Russian forces occupied her hometown. And this is a quote. As soon as I arrived in a village near the capital, my grandma's house in Zvatove was destroyed by a missile. After I left, I had no money and lived in a basement in a village on the outskirts of Kiev. One day, a rocket hit about 150 meters from the house I was living in. And since then, I've had nightmares about how my limbs were blown off by a bomb. That's just terrifying. And look, about the documents, I think we might have overlooked mentioning one thing. In their haste to leave bombed villages, thousands of Ukrainians did not obviously stop to gather up documents such as passports. Some of them had never applied for one before, right? A lot of the personal belongings of people were destroyed by shelling and so on. So recognizing this difficulty and the urgent need to help people travel to safety once the Russian shelling began, the Ukrainian government instructed officials to recognize any ID certificate or document, original or photocopy, at borders. So again, Judith should have encountered zero issues at the border as her birth certificate clearly states she's female. But that did not happen. As soon as Judas arrived at the border crossing, two guards stopped her and asked her to follow them to a room beside the customs office, where they physically examined her. Afterwards, one of the guards said, You're a guy, so get the hell out of here, and told her she should be grateful that they did not call the police, even though she has a legally valid document that says she's female. Yes, and this next part is really upsetting. This is what Judith says. A quote, they checked our hands, arms, neck, 
to see if I had an Adam's apple. After examining us, border guards told us we were men. Go to the war, they replied, adding that three more million people had already fled the country and they weren't going to let me out. And a similar thing happened to Alice, a 24-year-old transgender woman from Brovery, a town near Kiev. She and her wife, Helen, a 21-year-old who identifies as non-binary, were stopped by border guards during an attempt to cross into Poland. Yes, and I want to explain what non-binary is. Non-binary or genderqueer is an umbrella term for gender identities that are not solely male or female, identities that are outside the gender binary, right? Like androgyny, which is the possession of both masculine and feminine characteristics in humans. And I want everyone to know that LGBTQIA people, despite idiotic rumors, do not mind if you ask and if you are curious about certain terms, issues, or whatever. What they do mind is being hated and discriminated against. Genuine curiosity and trying to better understand things does not upset them. As I heard some idiots at the dog park implying, no, this is something that happened like quite recently, actually. What upsets them is people being small-minded, mean, and using derogatory language masked as questions, right? People trying to better understand things to be better allies, that's not the problem, I can guarantee you. You can ask. If you meet a transgender person, if you meet a queer person, if you, ha if you have an honest discussion, that's fine. Just don't be a d basically. I mean, has anybody seen Robert Plant back in the 1970s in those Led Zeppelin movies? I mean, he is not... <laughs> <laughs> he is not very masculine. I wonder why this is suddenly such a big deal, because he was yes, the most I... famous man alive for about 30 years, and he literally wore, I mean, women's clothes on stage. So... Yes, and nobody had... This is, the, this is the thing people don't realize it. Once they realize they can accept it until they put a label on it, and then the label comes with, with misogyny, with, with hate with transphobia, yes. with whatever other negative emotions. Uh, Prince, for example, right? I mean, come on. Yes. Bowie, these were love artists. Everybody loved them, but they didn't have the label. The second you say transgender, you're going to see. Oh, well, it's different. Then. Yes. yes, that's, yes. Oh, oh, that's a whole different. The situation changes. So that's, that's what is. Because then they can be a them. Oh, I don't like them. Yes, they yeah, can them. look down. That's the difference. They can look down. They find somebody new to hate. That's the thing. Anyways, back to Alice. Alice described a similar experience to that of Judas. They took us to a building near the border crossing. There were three officers in the room. They told us to take off our jackets. They checked our arms, hands, checked my neck to see if I had an Adam's apple. They touched my breasts. After examining us, <sighs> border guards told us we were men. We tried to explain our situation, but they didn't care to hear any of it. So Alice and Helen had to stay in Ukraine. They are now in Lviv and safe as far as we know. But this goes to show just how messed up the situation is. And there's another facet to this war. Since the beginning of the invasion, they are running out of hormones because of the pharmacy closures and lack of medicines being delivered to the country. Alice said, quote, if you stop taking hormones suddenly... It's extremely harmful to your health. And that's true. You can't just suddenly stop like blood pressure pills. You don't just quit one day. It's a very high risk thing and it can wreak havoc on your body. Yes. Bernard Vernes works for SafeBow, an organization helping to evacuate vulnerable people to safety. He and SafeBow founder Reindav Dublievsky were with Alice and Judith 
when they tried to cross into Poland and witnessed everything we talked about. And this is the thing. These are just a few stories, the tip of the iceberg. Bernard and Drain are talking of tens of thousands of similar cases. Quote, this is the moment where we need to show that there are people suffering not only from the war, but because of sexism and transphobia, and yet those at risk cannot live. So prisoners of war in their own country, basically. Yes, and as we said before, Ukraine has been doing an amazing job fighting Putin's civil army. They are an amazing country and truly courageous, and they love pets, you know, and because of that, I love them. And we cannot point out that there are also areas in which they can improve. And LGBTQIA rights is one of those areas for sure. And this is the case with all countries in the EU region. It was actually a French case of forced sterilization of gay men that wound up in the EU human rights courts when the practice was ruled a violation of human rights in 2017. Sadly, yes. My native country, Romania, too. Moldova as well. And this brings us to one of the most heartbreaking stories I heard recently. Felis Joy. That was the name she chose for herself. Felis comes from the Latin term for cat, and it also means lucky. Felis loved pets, and all she wanted was to live her life and be happy. That's why she picked this name, Felis Joy. She was only 16 years old, and this is what people did to her. Um, We got so upset researching this case. So Felis was a very artistic child. She loved drawing, painting, movies, fashion, and animals. Her father has been living in the United States for a number of years, and Felis was waiting to turn 18 and come to the U.S. where she knew there is less discrimination against trans kids. And look, we have massive issues in the U.S., but nowhere near the hate transgender people encounter in Moldova or Ukraine, Poland, Hungary, and so on. Unfortunately, Felis never made it to the United States. The society she lived in hated her. I know the word bullying gets used a lot, and to me, it doesn't always have the same weight, uh, the same connotations, because it's associated with children. But in Felis's case, it was not just children. We're talking about school administrators, government officials, parents of other children. She was pretty much universally hated by everybody while she lived around. Yes, the terror she was subjected to is hard to describe. She was constantly abused at school by other students, called names, spit on, and other horrific behaviors. And it all culminated with a savage attack in February of 2020. A few boys in her high school chased her, caught her, beat her up, threw her to the ground, stumped her, jumped on her body, and then they urinated on her. And she was unconscious for a while. She managed to drag herself home somehow. And when she got home, she just collapsed in front of the door. She said she couldn't remember who beat her up. That's how in shock she was when she got home. Her mother went to the high school principal with a bag full of the bloodied, soiled clothes that Phyllis had worn a day before when she was attacked. But the school principal told her that not a lot can be done. They'll look into it and see if they can find who the students who beat Felis were. Yes, and Felis's mom, in desperation, went to the Moldovan Ministry of Education. And they sent a psychologist to the school. This infuriated the principal as she didn't want the school to be seen as a school with issues by the ministry, right? But nevertheless, as we said, nothing changed. The bullying continued. We know that Felice's mom went 
to all the monthly parent-student meetings, try to explain to the other parents that her daughter does not deserve to be treated this way. Nobody does. She pleaded with them to teach their kids to be kind. This is what one father responded, quote, Over my dead body, my son is a man and he will crush such creatures like your daughter. I teach him that. And another parent said, Keep your son in a cage or leave the school. And if you don't, I'll break his legs and you won't even know who did it. So not really nothing. Uh, Moldovan society endorsed Phyllis' abuse and then blamed her for existing, basically. Yes, I'm so enraged. This is just so insanely sad. And all those pieces of were not worth a hair from Phyllis's head. Hateful mother Uh, Yeah. I mean, before enrolling in the 10th grade, the school principal gave Phyllis and her mom an ultimatum. He can choose to be normal, so not manifest his identity. He should dress according to his birth sex or leave this high school as I'm not going to be held responsible if he gets raped. I'm really refraining here because I have a lot to say to the school principal, who, by the way, I think still holds that position. It's hard to find good information on cases that happen in Moldova other than a few articles that are incomplete, and you have to really dig a lot. But yes, that's what trans people have to deal with in Eastern Europe. So not so pro-life and not so protecting of children after all, I guess. Anyway, <sighs> Phyllis's mom moved her to a new school, but everything was the same at the new school. Phyllis kept getting bullied and attacked, and her mental health declined. When the second high school called the first high school to get her student records, of course the first high school told them that Phyllis was, quote, a problem child, and all those sorts of things. So not just bullying by other kids in Phyllis's case, Sanctioned by the school, sanctioned by the government, basically. Yes, yes. Felis told her mom at this point that she does not want to live anymore. Obviously, her mom, who I think did all the right things and tried her best in a society to help Felis, reached out for help, looked online and found Gender Doc M, a support center for LGBTQIA kids and their parents. They had psychologists and many useful supporting methods and systems. So this seemed like a new beginning for Felis, right? And the people for Gender Doc M even made the bullying case public, notified the authorities with all the info they had. They didn't make Felis's name public, though, for her protection, but they did make the attack public. But the authorities did nothing. At the beginning of April, Felis descended into depression. On April the 12th, she jumped to her death from the 22nd story of a high-rise building. Or perhaps her high school classmates and teachers pushed her to your death, depending yes. on how you look at it. I mean, teenagers are unsure of themselves anyway without the entire world they know, teachers, school administrators, parents of other kids, all set against them every single day. So it seems to me like a lot of people were present for Felis's death. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, and culpable. And wait, there's more. So in Romania and Moldova, each class of kids has a bunch of teachers, right? Each teaching a certain subject. But there's only one teacher who is the dirigente. That means like a main teacher who oversees grades and students' progress. That's a teacher who the parents keep in contact with and so on. It's not the principal. I mean, it can be, but not in this case. In this case, Diriginta, it was a lady, came to the funeral 
and gave a speech. She kept referring to Felis as he and basically said how upset she is that the school is getting blowback on social media and how the school did nothing wrong. The nerve and a bunch of people made her stop and made her leave. And she was very upset that she couldn't spew her whole bull she wanted to spew. It's unbelievable. I am livid about this. What piece of adult goes to a child's funeral a child she was supposed to at least try to protect to defend what who does that and then she refers to felis as he how do you not see that's the first thing you're doing wrong you i mean i don't even if we hypothetically like cast all of the politics and all of the religion aside how can you have so much hate for a child at that child's funeral. I mean, especially when you are one of the people who drove that child to kill herself. Um, and it seems that the names of these school officials have been scoured from the internet to protect their identities. <sighs> Yeah, but who protected Felis, you know, other than her mom? Who? Nobody. Not the education ministry, not the police, not the students, nobody. Not a single person with authority protected her. But these principals have their identities protected. I couldn't even find the names of the high schools. Surely another detail kept out of the public eye to avoid, quote-unquote, endangering those who are guilty of this tragedy. I'm disgusted. This was a beautiful child surrounded by ugly, spirited, hateful adults who had their own children infected with their hate, too. And they're all guilty for her death. Yeah, it's just tragic. I wonder if these school principals ever considered that turning the clock back just a little too far would make all of those children property of a Russian noble. I mean, as I remember it, God chose them, too, right? So that's why they were able to point out a pretty girl from a crowd of peasants and just take her as their property back in the 19th century. Something tells me that the Moldovan authorities don't want to go turn the clock back that far, just as far as they want to. Yeah, just as far as it's convenient for them to be able to continue to spew the hate and discrimination. And look, hopefully things will change. But imagine being Felice's mother the pain that woman must live with every single day, the pain, the desperation. And by the way, Felice's mom is still keeping her Instagram active in her memory. The Instagram handle is at lost underline Felis, F-E-L-I-S. I would like everyone who is listening to go and follow lost Felis in her memory. And from now on, whenever any of us hear anybody spewing hate against trans kids, pull out her account show her picture to them and tell them that this is what hate does. It kills. It kills beautiful, young and pure souls who have done nothing wrong. And I dare say these young trans kids are much better humans than most of us. They're kinder, more sensitive, and Felis must not be forgotten. And the fact that her case was not a big international story is a shame because there is so much to learn from her life and her death. I wish big media would pick up on this story and New York Times, Washington Post, the CNN, BBC and other big media outlets would send hordes of reporters to Kishino to make a big fuss because only a big international scandal will ensure, you know, a chance that those responsible will face real consequences. Yeah, hopefully more journalists will hear about fellas. And there are more horror stories coming out of Moldova. 
the same organization who tried to help fellas, uh, Gender.M, that Sandra mentioned, reported that a young gay man committed suicide after being abused and threatened by police. As yes, well. it's insane, and I totally believe it. And also, I think it is important to highlight once again that LGBTQIA people, and especially transgender people, all the cases we talked about, these people fleeing Ukraine, they cross the border if they're lucky into countries where this kind of hate is the norm, right? So look at Moldova. So we need to think about this. We need to see this in context. Yeah, this is what Judas, who we mentioned earlier, said, quote, I want to be free to do what I want in life. I will try again to cross the border because it's my right to leave and to live. And I will not remain silent. I will not be held prisoner. I think that's a good quote to remind everyone not to give in. If you are part of a population at risk, know that you are not alone. Know that not everyone is hateful. Know that there is help available and that you are precious and important and your life matters and we love you and we'll fight for things to change. But people must be vocal. And for the straight people, for the cis people, if you have transphobic and homophobic people in your lives, tell them what you think. Explain to them why they are so horribly wrong. And honestly, if they continue, shut them off. It's time these hateful people are marginalized by society, not tolerated, not allowed to spew their hate. They must be cut off like a cancerous tumor. We need to start doing a better job at protecting those at risk everywhere. And it begins with each of us, not only in Ukraine, Moldova, Romania, Poland, and Hungary, and so on, but even in the U.S., which, you know, shockingly, we're not doing great here either. No, we're not. If you don't believe it, come to Texas. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to get into details, but in 2022, uh, we've already seen at least 14 transgender people murdered. We say at least because they often go unreported or misreported. So a lot of these cases don't include suicides either caused by the situations like what fellas had to live through. Those may not be in the stats. Yes, and unsurprisingly also in previous years, the majority of these people were black and Latina transgender women. This made me instantly think of Marsha P. Johnson. If you don't know who she is, please watch The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson on Netflix. It's a great documentary or just Google her. Also, Sylvia Rivera, they are and forever will be iconic figures in the transgender community. Back to trans violence stats, though, in 2021, the human rights campaign tracked a record number of violent fatal incidents against transgender and gender nonconforming people. 50 fatalities tracked in the United States alone. We're breaking records, just not the right kind. Shameful. And again, these numbers are probably higher. Internationally, 375 transgender people were murdered in 2021. This is the deadliest year since records began. In 2020, there are 350 transgender persons murdered. So trans violence is on the rise and it's a global problem. Well, the conundrum here is that the religious zealots in Western capitalist countries are the only organized group of the electorate. Other than the billionaires who want to kill us all via, you know, environmental damage or infrastructure decline or whatever other pet project of theirs they have, of course. Everyone's an individual in, you know, sort of neoliberal capitalist countries, except those who hold that ideology secondary to some other hate or bigotry like the religious zealots do. So if you're going to improve the lives of marginalized people, 
First, you're going to need a common ground that binds people together in such a cause. And spoiler alert, money and greed and houses in the suburbs with high privacy fences are not it. So if somebody else knows what that common ground is, you're smarter than me. I don't. Yes, I agree. And, you know, I would say that we could all start by uh, voting. Vote, 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 vote. Vote them out. Vote them out. That's the only thing. Replace them with people that will implement normal 2022 policies, inclusive policies, and non-hateful nonsense that I am so tired about like many, many other people. And even short of political organizing and voting and all that stuff, I mean, people spend far more time hating the imaginary images they have of their neighbors on a screen than they actually do just talking to the neighbors. I mean, this is really the worst and the most tragic thing in our modern I world. I have to agree. You made such a good point here. Sorry to interrupt you, but this is... That's fine. Go ahead. This is actually, I think, the crux of the whole episode because exactly your neighbors, your community, when we talk about trans people, queer people, gay people, this and that and that, these people are our people. These people are us. We need to take the time to know them, to talk to them, to understand they are not the devil incarnated. They are, you know, it's insane. We need communication. We need to understand that these people are us. If we hate them, we hate on our own community. We hate on our neighbors, our brothers, our cousins, and our daughters, and our sons. And this needs to stop. And that's why these people are prisoners of war, no matter in which country they are to an extent. And even more so if they fight themselves in an actual real war. So... Do we have any books for this episode? Yes. And to clarify, we have no deal or incentive to recommend these books. We only recommend books we truly like. So I've got a couple of very good audiobooks, actually. You know that because all the reading and research we've been doing for the podcast, you know, my eyes are tired. So lately I'm not reading. I'm mostly listening to books. So the first book is called Redefining Realness, My Path to Womanhood, Identity, Love, and So Much More by Janet Mock. Janet relays her experiences of growing up young, multiracial, poor, and trans in America, offering listeners accessible language while imparting vital insight about the unique challenges and vulnerabilities of a marginalized and misunderstood population. So this is a really good book. Our second recommendation is Becoming Eve. My Journey from Ultra-Orthodox Rabbi to Transgender Woman by Abby Stein. Abby was born as the first son in a dynastic rabbinical family, poised to become a leader of the next generation of Hasidic Jews. But Abby felt certain at a young age that she was a girl. And this book explains what she had to endure and overcome to be herself. Her story is really amazing and super inspiring. And for the people who want to actually read-read and not listen to a book, I have the Real Lives of Transgender and Non-Binary Humans, a Publish Your Purpose anthology. This is a powerful collection of stories told by transgender and non-binary people of all ages and from all walks of life. And one more reminder to our podcast friends that we have two premium episodes every month exclusively available to our patrons. You can get them by clicking the link in the episode notes or going to dubiouspod.com 
and clicking on the Become a Patron button. Yes, and if you like us, please recommend us to your friends and share our content on the social media. We are at Dubious Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. That's it. See you guys next week, and thank you for listening. Bye.